Thank you for downloading this episode of the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. And this is episode 14, isn't it? It is, yes. We're a teenager now. Now we are 14. We're in our teens. Uh, With all that sort of awkwardness and uh, drinking too much and staying up too late to watch stuff. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what my... um, Actually, I didn't do that much drinking when I was a teenager. No, me me neither. I was very good. Which is why now we do podcasts, I suppose. Yeah, because that's what happens. To the the people that... Who don't drink enough. Yeah. I'm not saying anything for our listeners. Maybe our listeners drink too much to get through the podcast. Yes. We just got back from the fringe. We have. We went to see a show. We went to see a fabulous show that I adored. A former guest of the podcast. Yeah. Yvette May uh, with her show 10 Steps to Happiness at the Warren. Yeah, and it was great. It was great. Uh, Sold out show. Yeah. Uh, Indeed, the entire run has been um, sold out. Yeah. And it's easy to see why. It was just a, um, well, we've been just chatting about it all the way back. Yeah, it was fabulous. I mean, it was, I I laughed, I I felt emotional. It was so empowering. It was really empowering, wasn't it? Really a fantastic show. And I, I know that I would have felt that way if I didn't personally know Yvette, if I was just a stranger in the room. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing if that has a, a second shelf life after this year and comes back to the fringes next year. Yeah, yeah, or maybe goes to Edinburgh, maybe. I'd, 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 it'd be amazing. That I think it would be a, a real a real good ticket in Edinburgh. Yeah, So um, That's going to be magnificent. Yeah. Uh, that's not the only fringe thing we've done today. No, it's not. We've been chatting to Jess McCurley. About her show that's coming up towards yeah. the end of the fringe at uh, Sweet Venues. Yeah, Gender Spanner. Yes. Which um, I only realised there's two, or at least two at meanings. At least two. Yeah, we, we chat about that in, in the conversation yeah. uh, about the different meanings, and I guess the meaning of words and how the ch- meanings of words can change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a lot of what our conversation is about, uh, yeah. which is useful because sometimes we don't know what the words we want to use are. No. Often for me, yeah. Um, but no, hers uh, sounds like an absolutely fabulous show as well because it's it's another one person show. Um, she's got a ukulele in there. As oh, well. excellent! Yeah. So um, it's I, I really want to see that one. That's gonna be brilliant. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you'll you'll recognise the posters in town because there's a bit of a um, a Miley Cyrus vibe on the posters, uh, licking a spanner yeah. rather than a hammer. Yes. Um, but there's a, a good amount of lickage going on. <laughs> uh, um, we should also point out that, because uh, people give us feedback on, or get in touch yes. on iTunes, that, yeah, people can leave comments and they can um, subscribe, and they do. Yes. And they do can, it on SoundCloud as well. Yeah, and you can rate us, rate every episode. Uh, that would be amazing. But that's um, not the only thing they can do. No, we've got an email address now. We what, have. What is that email address? It is castirontheatrepodcast at gmail.com. That's good, that's good. What I quite like about that is that it is both fairly lengthy but also easy to remember. That's how I like them. <laughs> lengthy and easy to remember. <laughs> uh, shall we listen to the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Have fun. Hello, this is the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. I think I'm allowed to say episode 14. The reason I'm confused about that is that we're coming up to the last couple of weeks of The Fringe and we're interviewing people left, right and indeed centre. And uh, genuinely with the amount of editing that goes on from uh, Michelle here. Hello, Michelle. Hello. Um, That was very good Joan Bakewell BBC Radio 4 uh, vibe going on there. Uh, but the amount of editing that uh, you have to do and uh, the amount of stuttering I have to do uh, beforehand means that the next few episodes, we have no idea what order, because also the performance dates of the shows that we chat into, we have no idea what the order will be. True so. 
<laughs> you go for J- Joan Bakewell to West London. <laughs> South <laughs> Good. London. South London. Well, I'm a, I'm a Croydon boy, which everyone can tell by my. I've said that joke before in a previous <laughs> that podcast. That that can go, yeah. And um, today we're speaking to Jess McCurley. Hello. 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 How are you? I am good. Is is, um, is Brighton treating you well? It is. I really like Brighton. Yeah. There's lots of friendly people and everything's in walking distance. Apart from the walking distance line, the, 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 everyone's lovely. That's kind of the contractual obligation for a guest <laughs> to say. Is this the first time you've been in Brighton? I. Uh, it's not the first time I've been. It's the first time I've been for a significant amount of time. Yeah. So, I, like, I used to live here. Uh, well, in London. Yeah. And Brighton was one of those places that I'd always heard about. You know, it's a very queer-friendly place. Yes. And it's sort of place that I would enjoy. Yeah. And every time I tried to visit here, I was thwarted by circumstances at the last minute. So it's the yes. kind of place where even when I made plans to come and stay for a while, I only ever managed a day trip. So it's nice. really nice to spend some nights here. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, as you say, there's a, a, a great uh, queer culture here as well. There's the Marlborough Theatre, yes. uh, which you may be aware of, which uh, has, um, I think, coming up, I haven't checked the dates, uh, a queer festival coming up, or oh, may have amazing. already started, I don't know. But uh, they're really, they've got certainly got a, um, a trans festival coming up soon ah. um so that's interesting um you'd think that i sort of um you know have these details to the hands i don't and the reason that we're chatting about all of this is because it has some connection with the show that you're bringing to the brighton fringe yes gender spanner is the title of my uh show what <laughs> this is a, a one of those odd questions which is like both obvious and may never have been asked what is a gender spanner um it is well <laughs> if you it's a, it's it works on several levels. Yeah, yeah. So throwing a spanner in the works yes. is a common terminology that we're all aware of, which means to uh, upset the system, to upset yeah. the system, to uh, fuck with things. Am yeah. I allowed to swear? Anything? Yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Let's strap in. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It, it outside the norm. Yes. Kind of thing. And I also like the idea of spanning genders. Oh, that's nice, yes. Going from one to the other, if you, you think of it as a spectrum. Yeah. Like, lots of people think about gender in many different ways, and one of the easiest ways to talk about non-binary gender to people who perhaps haven't heard of that concept before yeah. is to describe it like a spectrum. Yes. <laughs> With um, male being on one end and female being on the other. Yeah. And you can sit anywhere along that line but then now that we are talking more about um non-binary things people are like it's more than just a spectrum it's more than just a line but um that is one of the simplest ways to start to explain to someone who's never heard of the concept before and just thinks about male and female as uh, as something that can be (laughs) easily not easily identified but um literally like something solid like something locked in and immovable in the way that, I guess, almost 40, 50 years ago now, uh, we began to discuss the spectrum of sexuality, of um, how um, straight or gay somebody was, mm. and that took time for people to sort of get their head round in yeah. terms of spectrums. Then same thing. Once The first time you hear about this, even myself, I identify as non-binary, and the, the first time I heard the concept took me a while to get my head around it but then I was the more I thought about it I was like oh 
There's a couple of things there that are resonating. Yeah. You know? We're all learning. We're all sort of making, not making it up as we go along. We're defining ourselves as we as we learn more about this topic. So the language is evolving as we are learning. So things that weren't a thing now are. Like we're having to define the, the words. We're yes. having to... And the language make the words up to make to explain ourselves properly. Like I'm not explaining this no, very well, the, but the, la- the language itself that that's important because it's if, if we're being positive or negative, if we're being um, open or bigoted, it's a somewhat about semantics as well. Yeah. Uh, in terms of um, people still arguing that that they is a plural rather than a singular, and so and it's so like not (laughs) like the best example when people are like oh they are so confusing like if someone had left their phone on a table at a cafe yeah you're like oh someone's left their phone they'll be missing it won't they yeah like that's a it's annoying like i get it and and again the first time i met someone who identified as they i was like oh that's doesn't really work in um with grammar does it but it does it's a learning process it's just a we we we're so ingrained to think he she is the only uh, prefix that makes sense that in our valid, heads. But yeah. no, if you think about it, like no, if you don't know someone's gender, you automatically say they. Indeed. So why is it so hard to say it to someone who you have met? And it is just a, such a, a learning process. The phone allows us to remember that ten years ago, or fifteen years ago, texting wasn't a word that we use in that sense swiping left exactly, and right yeah. and, and now we're happy with that you know so yes there's a, <laughs> there's a little bit of linguistic maneuvers when we first go okay that's not what, what the word meant now but now it means something else <laughs> and then almost, we just process it it's almost like having a conversation with um a baby boomer about technology yeah you know like absolutely <laughs> I'm a, i try to talk to my mom about computers and she doesn't like it's there's a language barrier yes in me explaining to her how to use her computer there's an actual language barrier because she doesn't sort of understand that the computer is like a filing system yes and there's that sense of uh what you learned in your childhood what was the and that troubling word the norm in your uh childhood if something changes um in your 20s that's that's new and brilliant and fantastic and exciting if it changes in your 40s and 50s it's scary and strange and mysterious um which is a line that i vaguely stolen off douglas adams um but (laughs) the, the, the line about the baby boomers is important because not to overload the point this on our new understanding our new um embracing of gender fluidity that's somewhat going to be for anybody who's roughly my age or older. That's our generation's mild racism of us sort of going, no, but that's, I, I need, I need to understand it the way that I knew it and experiencing a new concept, experience a new way is sometimes going to be challenging for people. Mm, yeah. I'm, you're, I'm, you're reminding me of, um, there's a comedian called Oswald Patton. Yeah. Have you seen? I've, his... I've heard of him. I don't know if I've seen the relevant. He does an amazing bit about <clears throat> he compares people who are accepting with people who are not, and the language that they use. It's an amazing piece. I highly recommend you look him up on YouTube. Yeah. Basically, to paraphrase him poorly, he says something along the lines of like, "It's it's when people use words, they use the buzzwords like 
transgender and yeah. uh, just all of the, the the correct, like using the correct language doesn't necessarily mean you are accepting of the idea. No. And he says the, the people that do use the correct language are the dangerous ones because <laughs> they can be really like, um, like religious people yes. who are just using all the correct buzzwords, but saying that essentially being uh, queer isn't okay. Yes. But then it's the like yokels being like, who don't <laughs> know the buzzwords and don't know how to be politically correct about it, but can still be really accepting. Like, yeah. And he just does a really, he impersonates these two ca- uh, characters. Yes. But yeah, I, I don't want to, I'm not going <laughs> to <laughs> perform it because he does it amazing. I, Oswald Patton. Yes. <laughs> and, and one of the other things that we're talking about with um, the, the title, um, Gender Spanner, uh, which relates to the imagery you've got for your poster, is um, good old Miley Cyrus with, with, with her sledgehammer. Um, <laughs> and to go for, as indeed I think was the, was the intention with the original video, the obvious uh, metaphor, you've gone for another um, male tool um, mm. with with the spanner. Um you know, not many people get that. Oh, I see. Okay. My, my show is peppered with Miley Cyrus references, <laughs> but I, I purposely tried not to be too obvious about it. Yeah. And I have to point that out. When I point that out to people, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize. But yeah, like, the poster works so well yeah. because it's uh, well, it's me licking a spanner, but yes. I'm dressed as Miley, as Miley Cyrus yeah. in that Wrecking Ball video. I, I have to point out, I, I don't have all the all, all the CDs, you know, it's not like I, I have the posters or anything, just, just to <laughs> make that definition. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I guess one of the other reasons I bring her up is because she was ex-House um, of Mouse, uh, ex-Disney Club, mm. and then um, became this force of sexuality in a way that somebody like Beyonce is somewhat mostly celebrated for her celebration of sexuality, Miley licking a hammer was somewhat derided um, and people were a bit confused by it. Uh, when you first saw the video, when you saw, first saw Wrecking Ball, was it brilliant? Was it hilarious? Was it brilliant because it was hilarious? Um, I'm trying to remember the first time I saw it. I think I loved it. Yeah. It was really interesting. I actually hated Miley Cyrus yeah. for the longest time when she was... Um, Hannah Montana. Well, there were two of us. And when she was, you know, yeah, just when she was Disney. Yeah. When Disney was her filter, I was like, oh, this is rubbish. Like, it's teen pop shit. And then I went through a breakup just as her, that album came out, which was like her breaking out of the Disney thing. And I was like, all right, I'll listen to it. Because Wrecking Ball became such a thing. That's yeah, okay. Familiar. That's right. This was a, a while ago. God. Um, and I was like, "What? I, I, I like some of these songs. I identify with some of these songs. What is happening? <laughs> yeah. What is happening to me? Who am I? Like this yeah, isn't yeah. me." And then I read some articles and watched some interviews. There was a great Rolling Stone article, and she just seemed really down to earth and actually like surprisingly down to earth yeah given her upbringing of course she just seemed like she had her head on her shoulders she had good people around her and it suddenly became clear that what i had hated was the fact that she was being muted and that's what i hated is what i was seeing wasn't genuine and you can you know you can pick up on that and i think i mean 
don't get me started on her new work that she's released. <laughs> I am a little disappointed <laughs> that she's um, cleaned up her image, but oh, I can see the reasons. But anyway, back to when I was discovering that I I had things in common with Miley Cyrus yeah. that I never thought would I never thought that would have happened. But yeah, I started listening to her music and identifying, and yeah, I realized that. It seemed like that was that she was really being herself for the first time, and that's what I was liking. Like I, it seems genuine. That album yeah. seems genuine. Bangers to me. That's why you responded. I think so that's well what I. This is how I justify yeah. liking Miley Cyrus. Is I realized she was being fake before because she was being forced to, and then well, that's a really interesting. It was sort of- the genuine genuine genuity. It's now a word. The the genuineness. If we spent the first 20 minutes of this interview talking about we can uh, (laughs) claim words, and I think we can invent new words and Mm. massage new words into being. Um, That's an interesting take on it because um, obviously the director, Terry Richardson, he was... um, there was a sense, uh, possibly, that it wasn't Miley's sort of uh, take, that it was um, Terry Richardson who does overly sexualise. Yeah, that is true. But I also, like, look at what she's come from. She was yeah. a child star. Like you said, you know, she was Disney-fied from a very young age. It seems like if you met her at a bar, yeah. you'd be like, oh my God, you're full of shit. But you you don't, you've got to take in, like, context yes. of where she's come from. The fact that she can have a normal conversation and she isn't, you know. Well, that is a- incredibly difficult for somebody who's been performing from the age of yeah. what, four, five, six. And, as you say, um, protected or neutered, neutered by a multi-million dollar corporation. In your early 20s, you you try everything. Yes. You, I was looking at all of this crazy stuff she was doing, twerking and cultural appropriating yeah. uh, black culture and taking drugs and talking about taking drugs and talking about having sex. Like, who didn't do that in their early <laughs> 20s? The fact that she did that in the public eye... Like, it's not a big deal that she did these things. Yeah. Everybody does all of that experimental stuff in their early 20s. She was just in the public eye when it happened. Like, I didn't think anything that she did during that self-discovery time was that shocking. No. It was nothing that I hadn't done. It's just that... It was in the public eye. Yeah. And... And we're all learning. And, like, I think she's done really good things. Like, her Happy Hippies uh, Foundation... Uh, is helping homeless LGBT youth, yeah, and even with the the new transformation back to her roots or whatever, she has said that you know she wants to reach a different audience. So <laughs> that is kind of clever. Yes, yeah. She said that um, people aren't gonna the people that she wants to connect with, which are like Trump supporters and yeah, the people whose minds need changing in order for the world to improve. They're not going to listen to someone swinging naked from a wrecking ball. No. So she has a point. Yes, there is that. I'll give her that. Yeah, we, we need to be stepping outside our various echo chambers and speaking to each other. Yeah, which is quite an intelligent thing for someone to say. Yeah. And for someone to realise, like, her body and her art are a tool. So it's about how you use the tools available to you to achieve the end result. Yeah, it, which is somewhat um, what... Jenna Spanner, uh, your show um, discusses. Um, it's well. I'll let you. I was going to sort of give my sort of pre of my my limited research of it. But um, uh, uh, how would you um, sell it in? You know, well, not sell it. How would you um, 
Sell it is pretty good yeah, phrase, how, actually. How, uh, how, how, how you sell it in? Uh, in that depends words. who I'm talking to. Oh, oh that, <laughs> that is more interesting than the question that I had. Okay, so, yeah, how does that change depending on who you're talking to? Um, well, just like Miley Cyrus, I'm yeah. thinking about who my audience is and who the show is for. So, obviously, I think people who identify as queer in any way, shape or form are going to enjoy the show. Yeah. But that's not who the show is for. That is preaching to the converted. Yes. Um, uh, my my show is for anyone. Like anyone can in, can come and enjoy it. Whether you are straight, queer, whether you're interested in gender identity or not, there's something that everybody can identify with. Like, so I write poetry and I sing songs about falling in love and put a song about falling in love with a trans person. But that the fact that they're trans isn't what the song's about. Yeah. It's about how I was in love with them. Yeah. <laughs> and had to leave because my visa expired. Like everyone's had something like that. Yeah. Like if we if you've travelled, you fall in love with someone mm. and it's awful because you can't be together. Yeah. And it's like this like I've peppered the I've I've just written about my experience and I think that there's something that everyone can identify with. The first time I did the show, like the very first time, one of my friends was like I, as a as a straight white cis male, didn't feel vilified. You okay, know? yeah. Often yeah. shows like this, which are aiming at educating, yeah, the cis white males of the of the world about anything other than being a cis white male. Often they are like they're a bit finger pointy and they're yeah. a bit like, you know, you have the power and you are putting us down. Anyone who's other, but um. Because it was my first show, this yeah. is the first time I've ever put my name behind work. Um, I was really scared of yeah. offending my people. Yeah, I was really scared of using the wrong terminology or uh, just getting it wrong. Yeah. Like when I was writing it, I was discovering myself and discovering the rules. Yeah, <laughs> and I was so afraid of getting it wrong, and. I didn't. Oh, I didn't give a shit about offending like the cis white males in the, in the <laughs> audience. What I cared about. I think they've got stuff covered. My people, yeah. my my fellow queers. Um, and so it's very, it's very gentle. Yeah. The show is really not it. Like I swear, and there's nudity and sexual references and stuff. Yeah. But it's not ever like I wouldn't say it's a scary experience. It's no. like you. It's an empowering show for everybody. And it's not, uh, as some people might assume, because of uh, discussing gender fluidity and, for want of a better word, education about that, it's not a soapbox, it's not a lecture. Yeah, no, it's me. It's simply, that's what I didn't want to do. Yeah. I didn't want to be like, I am queer and this is what it's like to be queer. Yeah. I was just like, I am Jess. Yeah. And these are some things that I have experienced personally and I can't speak for... Anybody else who is gay, is non-binary, anyone who's fallen in love with anyone, like, I can't speak for other people, but what I can tell you is my experience, yeah. and you might find that interesting. Like, I was talking to someone the other day about how shows about yourself are really boring, like, can be really boring of course, and yeah. awful. Like, there are so many people just being like, this is something that happened in my life. And I had to be like, oh, wait, that's exactly what I've done. <laughs> I think there's a time and a place. <laughs> yeah. And if the story is good, then it's worth doing. 
And um, I've been doing this show for two years now, and I can, on good authority, say that there are parts of the show that everybody will like. Yes. <laughs> and um, it's worth coming to see. Well, this is uh, <laughs> you speaking. You've spoken before about um, a dad coming up to you after the show and saying that that was going to start a conversation with mm, his son. This was an email. Oh yeah, that was. Ah, uh, I was so scared. Of yeah. feedback, like I was just scared of getting it wrong. And the first time I did the show, it was at the Butterfly Club in Melbourne, an amazing little venue. And I got an email from a dad who was with his son. They were from out of town, yeah. So they were just in town in Melbourne to see something, and there was a mix-up. What they wanted to see wasn't on that night <laughs> or something. So they just walked into my show to see something, yeah, in, because what they wanted to see wasn't on. And so, yeah, it's not something that they would have chosen, mm-hmm. but he sent me an email just being like, I just needed to thank you because it was a really honest portrayal. And yeah, not something I would have chosen, but I'm so glad we stumbled into it because now my teenage son is, you know, th- these concepts are something that we wouldn't be talking about yeah. had we not seen that. And yeah, I've had a couple of emails sort yeah. of like that being like, thanks for starting a conversation. And so yeah. that's what I want to do with the show is start a conversation with people who may not necessarily have something to instigate. It gives a common ground. Yeah. 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 And, um, I don't know if this gives up uh, too many spoilers about the reveals within the show. Um, and if it does, we'll edit it out. Um, <laughs> but you have a sort of a sequence about... Because um, uh, men, uh, male stand-ups, often talk about the, the, the jacket and even the, the, the tie being a sort of a, an emblem of um, restriction. You know, the, the, mm. the tie being a noose and the a jacket um, being very restrictive. You, you flip that. Uh, my straight jacket. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I open the show with a straight jacket. Act, which is a lot of fun. Because um, yeah, you're just... talking about jackets being free and, uh, and um, a, a, a dress not being free. Yeah, well, that. I, so I, I, the first thing I do is a straight jacket dress routine. Yeah, we'll call it that. Um, and that sort of came from a place of I. Well, I guess I grew up identifying or being told that I was a cis girl. Yeah, I look like a girl. Um, and girls wear dresses, but I just, whenever I put a dress on, you know, I feel like I'm in drag, (laughs) which is fun. I enjoy wearing drag, but for me, it's important to note the difference that other girls wear dresses because they like, they like it Yeah, or they feel comfortable. And I wouldn't say I feel uncomfortable, but it definitely feels like, um, I am performing femininity. Yeah. I'm not myself. I'm more myself when I'm wearing trousers. Yes. But like what's what was confusing for me was that I know plenty of other girls who are like tomboys. Yeah. And they like hate wearing dresses, hate it with a passion and will do anything to avoid wearing dresses. Yeah. Whereas while I sort of I felt the same as in like it wasn't me. Yeah. But I didn't hate it. No. I don't hate wearing I don't hate wearing feminine things. I quite like dressing yeah. up sometimes. But the difference is that it's it's dre- that's it just it. It's dressing up. It's a costume. Yes. So I that's actually something that I'm still trying to figure out like in my performance 
of drag. Yeah. I like performing drag, and when I say drag, I mean dressing up as a girl. Yeah. The the, the original, what what drag actually yeah, means, dressed as yeah. a girl. But when someone who looks like me says drag, people think drag king. Yeah, dressing indeed. Dressing as a boy. Yeah. Which I do do, but <laughs> what's funny is when I dress as my drag king character, Jezebel <laughs> uh, it's I'm just wearing my clothes. I just paint on a mustache. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, and I try. I'm like, what would Jezza wear? And I, you know, I think about doing the contouring and everything. I always just end up wearing my clothes. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe that's for the next show. I'll yeah. Look more into that. I don't know. There is, and I think that's a, a, an idea, and I, this must happen for many people, of when they're wearing an outfit, it becomes a costume, even if that's what they're gendered to wear anyway, um, a particular sort of outfit. Um, one thing that comes up occasionally is um, pockets. Oh my God, pockets. <laughs> I'm wearing men's pants right yeah, yeah, now yeah. for the pockets. Yeah. Women's pants don't have pockets that you can fit a phone in. This is a revolution right now here, isn't oh, it? And it's, oh, you, there's articles about this on the internet about how it's so that <laughs> it's to, to put us down and so that we are not independent and we can't... I don't entirely disagree yeah, with that. That's a good point. I don't think that's a hysterical reaction at all. It seems to... It's one of those things that is so invisible, so ingrained to our culture. Yeah. And then when somebody points out to you, you can't even bring anything more than a... a, a you can't even bring a, a phone and a purse out. There's something about the the way that you button up a shirt as well. Men's shirts button up from one side. That's right, left and, and right, yeah. Men's shirts button up from the other side, and I can't remember the reason now. Is it because, you know, less people are left-handed? <laughs> it's literally just more awkward than one way or the other. Well, because I've I've grown up doing up buttons and zips. Yeah. For, I just got a new hoodie. Yeah. Which is... is zips up opposite to the way my hands are used to doing it so it's really awkward mm. isn't that interesting i'm used to zipping up with my right yeah hooking in with so the left comes up and the right goes down and then zipping up with the right but the male way yeah. is the other way yeah. well, zipping sh- up with the left hand side. I, I, sh- I should point out that uh, jess is doing a fantastic mime uh for <laughs> our pod <laughs> interview uh which um, I would normally say you can log onto the website and watch the video. That ain't going to happen. We don't have a video. Um, <laughs> but yeah, pockets in uh, dresses and also, uh, which relates to, um, I don't know if this comes up in the um, the show, but something that you've spoken about, about how girls of school age, how they dress at school and how much leg they're showing. And Oh, that was a huge thing at the whole school that I went to. So my school uniform hadn't been updated since the 60s yeah. or 70s. So we were, it was quite cool. Our uniform was like a pencil skirt, (laughs) right? But so like some girls would have it so that it was like really high, uh, like a fashionable length, very fashionable (laughs) length, but it was meant to be like longer, I think, down to your knees. But it was for a school uniform, Mm. quite sexual, yeah, yeah. quite uh, tight and, you know, made your ass look good. Yeah. We're children. What are you doing? (laughs) Um... What was the question? Uh, <laughs> Schoolgirls. School I have I have an interesting uh, experience of, of of wearing, yeah, a weirdly sexual school uniform. And um, but on a, on a hot day, apparently you you were wearing shorts and sent home. Is that is that? Oh, okay, that was okay. All of I wrote. I have this song called "Is It Just Feminism?" 
this is a, a point of contention as well. Some people react to this song, they're like, what the fuck are you saying? You're, like, you're saying like feminism is nothing. But the thought process behind it was that these, da- these things happen to you. And if you think back, like your whole life, these things happen to you. And a lot of girls sort of notice the injustice of yeah. not being able to wear the same things that boys wear or not being able to do the same things that boys do. Or it, if they are allowed to do the same things that boys do, it's a big deal. Yeah. Like, it's noted. And I was like, is that just because... Like, is that because... Am I feeling this because I want to be a boy? Yeah. Or do I just want to be treated equally? Well, it's a big so, frenetic time in those, like, I don't know, 11 to 16 of uh, being at school or whatever. And the boys... Within a narrow margin, don't change that much. They get taller, they'll bulk out, they get facial hair. Whereas for girls, uh, you know, your figure is sort of um, changing all over the place, and a strictly regimented school uniform isn't always a friend to that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's changing nowish. Like yeah. there, there are some schools that quite um, encouragingly simply say it doesn't matter what you wear, so long as it's the uniform. Yeah, boys can wear skirts and yeah girls can wear uh shorts yeah or trousers yeah that actually that example of being sent home for wearing shorts actually happened to a friend of mine not me oh i appropriated the story (laughs) you appropriated all of the things in the song did happen and most of them happened to me yeah they're all real real situations once i sort of went got older you know we could wear pants yeah in winter but in summer we didn't yeah we didn't have shorts actually yeah at all and so, yeah, this friend of mine wore shorts, and it was it was a big deal. Because like, it wasn't what's the big the... deal. It's just it's hot. Yeah. And she didn't feel comfortable in a skirt. Like, yeah, that really happened, and it still happens. It does. Yeah, we hear anecdotally sort of, um, I think about yeah, pe- uh, girls being sent home because um, their shorts are too skirt. Uh, their shorts are too skirt. <laughs> that uh, that's quite street, isn't it? Uh, their their shirts. Their shirts are too skirt, short. Skirts are too short. Their skirts are too short. Well, interestingly though. This friend of mine who this happened to, they wouldn't have been, like, short shorts. They no. would have been, like, yeah. big, baggy, down-to-the-knee shorts. And yet, you know, when I was at school, there were girls wearing skirts so short you could see their underwear. Yeah. They weren't sent home. Yeah. That's way more inappropriate yeah. than wearing baggy shorts. Ah, the injustice of it all! Yeah. So the show is essentially a, a discussion of response to sort of the way that... Um, we're finding gender, we're sort of boxing gender. Um, yeah, just these, yeah. It's observational, I guess. Yeah. It's just things that I've noticed and things I noticed that I didn't even realise were a thing. Like, yeah, another example from that song was like my mo- my own mother. I never thought I would have had to defend my actions to my mum. Like, yeah. I don't know, like I was, I had to change a tyre. Yeah. And... Like, I'd been taught how. Oh, so, like, I'd my father died when I was quite young. And yeah. So it was just me and my mum and my sister. So all girls, a house of girls. So I think that's made me very independent because I've never, like, a lot of my other female friends were like, oh, daddy will do it. Like, yes. car troubles and stuff. I'll just get my daddy to to fix it or pay for it or some shit. And I've never had that. I, no. I'm, I know that if something needs fixing, no one's going to do it except me. Yeah. And so, yeah, I had a flat tyre. <clears throat> I was like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> Having said that, it was my friend's dad who showed me <laughs> how to change a tyre. But, you know, that's important. Yeah. 
He gave me that little bit of information. He learned from somebody, yeah. He gave me 10 minutes of his time to show yeah. me how to do it. And now, the other day, I was driving, got a flat tire, yeah. changed it in 15 minutes. Boom. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and people kept coming up to me saying, do you need help? I was like, no, I'm actually finished. I'm lowering the card now. But thanks for the offer, man on a bike. Well, actually. Um, um, yeah, back when this first happened... So the first, this was probably the first tire I had to change on my own, but yeah. I'd been shown how to do it. I knew I could figure it out. And my mom was the one who was like, oh, I'll go get, what's his name from across the sure. road? Who was like an old man. Yeah. Like, mom, this is a physical job. <laughs> I Like, I've got this. Yeah. I know that I would have been, you know, 19 or so. Yeah. But like, I was capable and I was, I clearly was doing the job. Yeah. But still... Without thinking and without meaning to be offensive to me, yeah, she was just like, "No, no, I'll go get Harry. He'll he'll help." Yeah, I was like, of the two of us, an old man and a young girl. Yeah, I'm like strong and I know how to do this. Yeah, he's like old. You know, you've got to look after your elders. Yeah, not make them do hard labor. <laughs> um, it's so ingrained in our society. It, men a d- do the hard labour. She, d- she thought nothing of just going to get a guy to help. Yeah, and it's a, it's a default character, isn't it? If I say somebody walks into a bar, we tend to think white cis male. Yeah. Um, if there's a film poster um, of five characters, if there's four, me- if there's five men on that poster, we tend not to notice it. Mm. If there's four men, one woman, that's the token woman. If there's yeah. any more than that, if there's two or more women, we tend to think that film is marketed at women. The whole, like, the new Ghostbusters film, how people were yeah. just like, oh, wow, do you think an all-female cast will be funny? Like, yeah. Yeah. Do you think an all-male cast will be funny? <laughs> Not always. No, no, no. We, we have seen Ghostbusters 2. <coughs> Ghostbusters 2. We we spend some time on, on indeed this podcast, if not in real life, um, oh, being depressed about the reaction to um, Ghostbusters uh, twenty sixteen. Well, um, that's not like the, the the reaction that you're depressed about. Uh, they weren't the target audience. No, you talk to a young girl. There's a photo. Oh, like that's a, a meme fantastic photo of, of these two young girls yeah, yeah. meeting. I think Kristen Wiig. Yes, the look of adoration oh, on their faces is just like. That's, that's who yeah. this film was for. Um, <laughs> if nothing else, yeah. that's why that film was a success. Yeah, that was magnificent. And it is about, you know, um, young girls being uh, being told, being empowered that they can be Holtzman, that they can sort of um, uh, dress up as anything they want. To do a rather awkward and clunky segue, you, you dressed up as a chicken for Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Role at the Leader Theatre in Goulburn. Yeah. Did you know then that that's what you ought not to dress up as chickens? But... <laughs> I thought you were going to say you've dressed up as Kate McKinnon. <laughs> have you done that? I do. I have yeah. a Ghostbusters strip act. Oh, fantastic. That's <laughs> so much fun. Is that part of Gender Spanner? Because that, no, be, that could rock up the audience quite a bit. in Gender Spanner. I'm going to, I don't know. It's just a, a standalone act at the moment. Yeah. I don't know if I can build a whole show around <laughs> <laughs> Um. What, when I was younger, did I know if I was? Uh, if you wanted to be a performer, I guess after having dressed up as an um, as an Alice, as a dressed up as a chicken in Alice in Wonderland. I knew that I had lots of fun doing the. That was for 
uh, the yearly pantomime yeah. at my local uh, theatre, the Leader Theatre in Goulburn. Uh, every year they did a pantomime. I just enjoyed it. I just enjoyed the camaraderie of, of making a show with other people and I don't know. It was something special. Like at rehearsal, it was drummed into us. Like it's not something you just go and do until like the time slot. Yeah. You do it until it's done. Yeah. If we, if it got to be like 10 PM, which is when we were meant to be finishing rehearsal and we still weren't finished, you know, you do it, you, yeah. you do it until the job is done. Yeah. Which I liked the commitment, the work, the work ethic of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't, I can't really put my finger on what I enjoyed about it exactly. I just like just liked it. Yeah, but anyway, speaking about how you know working with a company, uh, the camaraderie there, um, which is interesting for working now on a solo show. Um, yeah. How does that? I know that you have a director and you do have a, a sort of a small team behind you, but it is essentially a solo show. Yeah, it's really solo actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I I work. I haven't worked with the directors. Like the show's sort of ready. Yeah, we 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 check in, um, but <clears throat> I'm really completely alone over here, yeah. which is hilarious on public transport with the amount of baggage <laughs> yeah, that yeah. I have for the show. It, it's a, quite a prop heavy show. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no, you do need a team around you mm. to do something like this, and I don't know. I don't have pe- I don't have I have people that I bounce ideas off. Yeah. And people who definitely help, but there's not like a gender spanner team. It's, no, it's mostly just just me. Does the show, the content may be the same, but does the show change depending on which country you're in? Does the, like the vibe from the the audience? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things that I sort of need to think about. Like there's a poem where I get quite specific about having an, an amount of money on my. Oyster card. Yeah. And, like, getting a job at Primark. <laughs> so I, I just sort of tweak it and yeah. say, like, I think the poem was, like, I had pound fifty on my card. I just say one fifty on my card. Yeah, That, yeah, that sure. reads yeah, yeah. most everywhere that I tour has, like, the tap on, tap off yeah, yeah. travel system. And, like, I think I changed Primark to Kmart. Which it doesn't have the exact same effect, but it's as close as you can get in Australia. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, Primark is somewhat... I mean, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a Kmart, but I've seen enough American and Australian TV to n- know what a Kmart is. But yeah, yeah it, it, it's a bit more warehousey than the Primark. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. Like, I wouldn't... When you think Primark, you think cheap clothes, yeah? Yeah. And you can get homewares there as well, but the, you would primarily think clothes. Sure, yeah. Whereas Kmart, you can get clothes there, but I would primarily think... Of Kmart as being a homeware. Yeah. Like in everything, like a Walmart. Sure, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, and, but anything the, that has the word Mart at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the um, the context in that poem is like, I had a sheer job. Like, I, it, like the worst job you've ever had. That's the joke. I was like, yeah. the poem is about hurting myself. And so like, yeah, I, I hurt myself. I applied for a job at Primark. Like that, applying for a, oh, I don't want to you know, put down people that work at Primark no. because plenty of really good and in- I met some really lovely and interesting people when I worked at Primark, but for me, it was an act of desperation. Yeah. <laughs> Applying for a job at Primark. 
uh, other acts of desperation are available. Um, yeah, exactly. But like, yeah, when you when you're in a weird place, you make interesting life choices yeah. that aren't necessarily in your best interests. Yeah, and applying for a night shift job at Primark, <laughs> like I could have made better life choices. Yeah. But it gave you a, a, a good three minutes of your show. Yeah, and actually it gave me a really great idea that I've never actualized. I had this, how I would get through this uh, night shift work of, of restocking Primark clothes. Yeah. I was imagining that, um, because when I first got the job, yeah. they do these huge culls. And they, like, not culls. That's terrifying. They they get in a lot of people at once, yeah. right? And the break room is huge. And at the, when we first started, like, they employ at least 40 of us at once, yeah. you know? Huge intake because people just kept dropping off like flies. Yeah. Every, it was only on the weekends, Friday and Saturday nights, and every week there was less people in the break room. Yeah. Like it started out that we were like elbow to elbow at the tables because yeah. you have to take your break all at the same time. <clears throat> um, and then a few weeks into it, it was a bit more sparse. And then a few months into it, it was like there were seven of us left. Not the walking and I was dead. Just, yeah. I was just like, what? It, and the thing about all of the Primark clothes is they're all synthetic. Yeah. So doing a restock you would get electric shocks from taking these clothes yeah. out of the plastic and hanging it on. Yeah. I feel like this is really like clandestine. Like I'm, have I, I can't remember if I signed a contract saying I wouldn't talk about this. Both, both of us, um, <coughs> Michelle and I are genuinely thinking, does this make the cut? We're not entirely sure. <laughs> uh, we, we haven't signed an NDA with um, Primark. So, you know, yeah, I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah. I, I just started fantasizing about, if it was related, you know, what if, like, where are these people, it was very, um, what's that, there's like a sci-fi film where people, uh, Invasion of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? There's, um, there's a psychological movie called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is Jack Nicholson mm. and Nurse Ratchet, where they are, and he, it. he pretends to have a lobotomy, that's right, yeah, he really gets a that's lobotomy, right, yeah. and it, I was just... All of these things were running through my head, like, where are these people going? Is it, like, Soylent <laughs> Green? Are they... <laughs> it's a cookbook. Is, is is this how we're powering the grid? Are they, like, taking these employees and grinding them up like batteries? Like, w- the way that... Because humans conduct electricity. <laughs> they do. So, it's like, are we generating electricity <laughs> for the power companies like is that why primark is so successful <laughs> there, there are about 19 listeners going they've worked it out <laughs> yeah i had this whole plot in my head for a short film of these employees being used to generate electricity that's amazing as human beings and like the synthetic clothes i don't know it was really complex i'm i'd really like to turn it into a um a short film well a graphic novel first oh yes and then Maybe a short film. Oh, and if I was going to make it into a short film, I was so poor. I was like, what's the, how could I do this? I wanted to make all of the um, props out of cardboard. Yeah. Like I had the whole aesthetic planned out. I'd love to do that one day. Maybe I'll start writing that. Maybe that'll be my next project. There we go. Yes. <laughs> uh, it vaguely reminds me of a short film that I saw when I was a kid, which is, um, I think it's called La Cabina, which is the cabinet. 
Um, and a guy gets into a public um, call box to make a call to say that he's going to be um, late home. And then he tries to get out and the, the door is now locked. And he can't escape uh, from the uh, telephone box. And most of the 25-minute film is him trying to get out and people trying to help him out. And then a, a group of kids are kicking a football at the um, the uh, the telephone box. And it's a hot day and then he gets a bigger crowd of people watching him. And nobody can help him escape. And eventually um, a truck turns up to physically lift the uh, phone box off the ground. Puts it on the back of the truck. And the next five minutes of the film are him just going out into the, I think it's Italy, the um, the the back mountains of Italy, wondering what's going on. And then the truck ends up at a warehouse, and it gets into a big industrial lift, <laughs> and then the telephone box is lifted up, and he's going, well, I still don't know what's going on. And then he's pulled into a big warehouse, uh, which is quite dark, and the lights, Indiana Jones style, all boom, 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 on. And then there's a big sea of old telephone boxes, all with a corpse inside them. Oh my god! And the film ends. That's it. What? And it's just a very weird. I, I'm not quite sure what I'm being told there. I was expecting it to end like um, he got taken somewhere and used for something, yeah. and then they just take the empty telephone box back. Well, that like like laying a trap, like setting a trap. For that is the last shot. Somebody else. That is the last shot of the film. The telephone box is washed, and uh, another telephone box is set up in the same space again. And so uh, I, I think somebody is getting into the thing, into the box. But are you talking that's about really you talking about the um, the idea that you had for a film um, <laughs> reminds me neatly of um, have you had an idea for a film or indeed an idea for an invention or a book that actually somebody got to before you did? I don't think so, but yeah. I knew someone at university who did totally invent monorail. Oh, at excellent. primary school, they had to design something so this isn't me but no. it's related yeah yeah <laughs> he invented uh, he was like wouldn't it be cool if you could make a train that ran on magnets excellent his idea was to have have a like on a train track but instead of powered by electricity so you know how magnets when you put the opposing the yeah plus to the minus it goes they don't you can't, it's really hard to make them touch sure yeah they go they want to be apart from yeah. each other so imagine if you made you put opposing mag you had what would it be the train would be a plus and the yeah. track would be a minus or vice versa and the magnets were spaced along the track so that it would force the it would force yeah. the yeah the the strength the the force of the magnet yeah. being repelled from each other is what propelled the train forward yeah yeah and is that how monorails work i i genuinely don't know i mean i always thought the monorails um date back a while. I think they're like, they might even have been monorails in the in Disney World or in, in back in the fifties. But that doesn't stop a, a child who's never heard of that mm. coming up. The I remember that when I was a kid, I I came up with the phrase a teacher had said to me as I was leaving, uh, "See you later, alligator." And I'd never heard of the response <laughs> to that. But because I thought this is a logical rhyme and a response, I said, "In a while, crocodile." <laughs> and about eight years later, I heard it. And then realised it dated back from long before I was born. So I was quite annoyed that actually I'd come up with it. And not only had somebody got to it before I did, but they literally got to it 40 years before I did. Do you think maybe you had heard it and you didn't remember it? And so it was like in in your brain, but you couldn't attribute where you got it from. And so you thought that you'd made it up? Yeah, that's not impossible. I mean, I, I instinctively, I don't think so because I can't think of where it would be. But I was young enough that I may have heard it when I was like three or four. 
and then filed it away. Yeah. It's funny how things like that happen. And you think you're having an original thought. Yeah. But actually, you're just remembering something. <laughs> well, there's... <laughs> That's, a, that's a depressing, isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, that's nothing is original anymore. Everything's been done. Well, every person thinks that it was at their school and their schoolmate that came up with that of the moment cultural saying that everyone was saying. Yeah, I think yeah, they, yeah. It definitely started at their school. Oh my gosh. Go on. Like quiche. You know how quiche is a word? Yes. Like, not, not, not like a food, but. All of the cool kids, like... Oh, hang on. I'm not, no, girls, I'm not a like, cool kid. That's so quiche. Nope. It's a young, like, teenager. Like, if you're 16. Yeah. If you're probably 16 to 20 and... That's so a, quiche. A, a, someone who likes doing your hair and nails, yeah. you probably, in the, the past few years, have called something so quiche. So you if you're... any schoolgirls? <laughs> no, no, but not particularly, but... Um, I so I'm just fascinated that if you're a cool kid who wants to talk about being cool, you name your being coolness after a eggy flan. This is this is the story, right? Okay. What's so there's um Chris Lilly yes. is an Australian comedian. Oh the show is but we've got the DVD so here good, somewhere, right? yeah. But he wanted he wanted to make <laughs> Jamae's catchphrase yeah. something fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Something absolutely like it was a comment on uh, how ridiculous the uh, cool words are sure, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Like, Brilliant. And so he decided on, it was going to, it was going to be salad. Like yeah. that's so salad. Yeah. But it sounds, that sounds a lot like solid, which is actually like, Oh, you're going to be a solid. Yeah. And he decided on quiche was going to be her yeah. thing that she was going to make into a thing. Yeah. And he said in an interview that um, he knew, like he wanted to just subtly inject it into the language yeah. of the youth and it worked Man. he knew he knew that it had worked when he saw quiche on a printed on a t-shirt yeah. that was nothing to do with his him or his yeah, merchandise yeah. brilliant so and it you know it worked i did um when i lived here i was doing this project puffball yeah. at the roundhouse in london and uh, working with this amongst other people this young girl she was like 16 uh and she was like, that's so key. <laughs> All the time. And I was like, have you, have you watched some Is that time? ironic? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, yeah. <laughs> just like, I can't, it's just so funny coming from, from seeing that from both sides because I've been a Chris Lilly fan for a while yeah. because Australia, Australian yeah, yeah. TV. Sure. So I would have known of Chris Lilly before it was a thing sure. over here. Yeah. And then to come in here and do a project with a teenager who said quiche. <laughs> so, and she didn't even realise that's why. That's brilliant. She said quiche. There's a show here, I, thi- <laughs> I think I'm quoting the right, right show. I think it's Skins, which uh, was a show for about eight, ten years. Which I was um, Skins. So I think I got the, uh, I think it is Skins that I'm talking about, where the writers were really um, concerned that any sort of slang they would uh, put into the script would date by the time it was filmed and transmitted. Yeah. So they invented their own slang. And um, so one of the words that they invented was amazeballs, ah. which then became a genuine <laughs> word that was we used. Amazeballs? Yeah. I actually have a shirt that says amazeballs. Oh my gosh, I had a shirt. I don't know where that is. But that's Amanda Palmer merchandise. Ah, excellent. It was Christmas merchandise. Keep amaze and carry balls. <laughs> like a, a Christmas thing on the uh, keep calm and carry on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, pop culture.
Oh, it's it, it's a thing. <laughs> In talking about um, pop culture, is there any sort of are you binging on Netflix? Is there a book you're reading? Is there a film that you've seen that you you think that we should really consume ourselves? Oh, actually, at the moment, I am reading Kate Tempest's book. Oh, excellent! Just uh, I like when I travel. I like reading something relevant to where I'm traveling. Yeah, yeah. So the bricks that built the house, which I've heard amazing things about, is what I'm reading at the moment. Um, I don't know. It's it's good. It's also very depressing, though. Yeah. Um, if you like Kate Tempest, you probably like her book. <laughs> she's she's uh, obviously she's curating the uh, the Brighton Festival she is this too, year. Yeah. Um, I just saw that on the yeah. Yeah. I I, to go see some stuff while I'm here. What have I just watched on? Okay, you know. Okay, on Netflix. Yeah. I have been watching my crazy uh crazy oh, ex- crazy ex girlfriend. Yes. Yeah, which is something that I was like. You know, I saw it in the recommended for you yes. things, and I was like, a show with a title like that yeah, yeah. is not going to be kind to women. I'm not watching that. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but then... Um, it's a deliberately contentious title. Yeah. Then uh, enough of my friends who I respect, whose opinions I respect, were like, oh my God, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, so good. So I gave it a chance, and I was like, well, yeah, this, <laughs> this is pretty good. Although, I am not sure. Is it kind to women? I haven't finished it, so okay. I don't know. It does sort of paint the picture of a woman moving somewhere for a, the idea of a man. I don't know. No. Is it? Is it? I, just I've because not... she sings and it's funny. Yeah. Is it? Um, is it validating this idea? I don't know. Maybe I haven't finished it yet, so maybe there's okay. a moral there that I'm not. It is at least the second recommendation we've had on the podcast for that program. Yeah. So. Um, We've had Crazy Ex-Girlfriend recommended. We had Sense8 recommended uh, a couple I've weeks back. I've heard a lot of good things about that. I haven't seen it. Um, and that's... Um, oh, Inside Number 9. But that, that's um, more BBC than uh, Netflix, although it is on Netflix. We often talk to people on the podcast about uh, where in Brighton uh, they sort of hang out. If there's a coffee shop or a bar, they hang out to be creative and whip out their notebook and stuff. That's not as an easy question for you to answer because you're... Mm. You're not. We've been here about three days. Yeah, and, and you've Actually, had on those three days, though, you've had oh, three different types of weather. It was so warm yesterday, lovely. There is, I yeah, there is a coffee, uh, like a I think it's a French bakery. Yeah, that's right near where I'm staying. Yeah, and they actually do really good coffee, no. and the their baked goods are delicious. And I don't know what it's called. It might be on Google. Hang on. Well, does it do the thing where if you're a business name, it knows? It should do. Real Patisserie. Oh, that's a not a very inventive name. Real Patisserie Western yeah. Road. Ah. But it's really good coffee and really delicious baked goods. Excellent. I, I don't know, like, I do live in Melbourne, so I ha- I kind of have to admit to being a coffee snob. Yes. Now. Well, the, the coffee culture be. and the food culture in Melbourne the, is the, has a good reputation. The coffee over here is pretty shit. <laughs> But not at the real patisserie. Well, uh, I think that um, about this now seems like recent history to me, but it's not really. But about twenty years ago, we didn't really have a coffee culture at mm. all in England. Not not as it is now. And then friends happened, and then that fetishized the whole sort of coffee oh. shop culture sort of thing. Um, and yeah. so what we what we don't have, which seems to be a really missed opportunity. We're not celebrating, um, we don't have tea houses. And because England has a reputation for tea, you'd think that we're really going for our tea and cake shops, which we don't so much. We do Ah. still have... I've noticed a lot of places here, uh, like 
advertise that they are small batch. Small batch, yes, which is roast small batch coffee roast. That's right, yeah, yeah. It's a reason that's, that's a, so hipster. Brighton is so hipster. Yeah, um, I think that's definitely one of the slogans. Um, <laughs> is 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 hipster now coming out of fashion? Can hipsters go out of fashion? Or maybe they can't. Maybe that's uh, that's maybe that's part of the ethics that you you know hipsters are deliberately not in fashion. Mind blown. I I, I have no idea. Um, I'm thinking about the people who are might be hipsters, be very hip. Well, also hip, but also not particularly fond of being called hipster because, of course, then they they've been labelled yeah. as such. People who can admit it are. You know, well, you have to be a certain amount of self-aware, don't you? I guess so, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm a hipster, I yeah, admit yeah. that. Excellent. <laughs> um, so, Gender Spanner. <laughs> Gender Spanner is an hour of song, an hour of burlesque, an hour of comedy, an hour of, of you. Bit of silly dancing, yeah. bit of stripping, That's a bit a, of ukulele. I think that, that those are the... Uh, what hipster doesn't play the ukulele, Well, exactly, eh? yeah. <laughs> I, bit, I bit there's... Um, <laughs> I'm willing to bet that that's that's always a good ticket for a, a fringe is a bit of burlesque and a bit of um, uh, ukulele. That's that's gonna yeah, it's a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah, a bit of fun. There's some like sad bits, but it's mostly funny. Yeah, and it's at uh, Sweets Venues. It's at Sweet Jukebox on uh, Waterloo Street. Um, yes, uh, which is at the back of the Southern Bell. Some of uh, your yeah. internet uh, findings might tell you it's at the back of the Iron Duke, but yeah, that's a lie. Yeah, it used to be called the Iron Duke. The Iron Duke, yes. Until and now it's renamed the Southern Bell. Now it's renamed the Southern Bell, which is the name of uh, an iconic train that used to travel back and forth from Brighton to London. Oh, really? So that's the, that's the logic, yes. The logo is a mermaid. Do, do you know what? You um, think they make it a train. I mean, I quite like the mermaid. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I think I'm going to get a tattoo of a mermaid. Like, yeah. I was already thinking that. That's a nice bit of synchronicity there. Isn't, isn't it, it lovely? Uh, uh, Michelle was um, speaking yesterday. We were coming out of a fringe venue yesterday, and a parent uh, was um, said to her, what, what did she say? That was amazing, wasn't it? A tap dancing mermaid. Huh. <laughs> Which I didn't even, until Michelle repeated the line to me, I didn't realise the <laughs> illogicity of... <laughs> Does she put the shoes on her hands? Who can say? Or does she just put bits of metal on her flippers? I thought flippers. I was thinking flippers with little bat yeah. and shoes on, tap shoes on. Yeah. And then... But even if that's a kid's show, that, that a, a roller skating or tap dancing mermaid, that that's that, that's a burlesque right there, surely. that's or just. Would it be really unsatisfying in the way that... A parent would yeah. go, that was amazing, wasn't it? And the kid would go, yeah, yeah. Not wanting to upset the parent, but in reality, the kid was doing what I would have done when I was younger, which is going, it had a fake tail and little feet sticking out doing tap dancing, not a mermaid. What was the context of this no comment? No idea. My favourite comment that I've overheard recently in Brighton was one man standing very close to a woman eating a sandwich. And what I heard was him saying, most people don't like it when I watch them eating. I don't know what that was means. Was he, like, really close? I think he was really <laughs> quite close, yeah. That was concerning. So before we get distracted by invading body space and tap dancing mermaids, we should repeat, gender spanner at the jukebox on what dates? The 28th to the 31st 20... of May next week. So that's... Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Four dates only. Four, four dates only, yeah. Four dates only. Short and sweet. Keeping it short. What time? 10, 10 p.m. 10, 10 p.m. Get there for 10. Grab a drink from the bar. 
So if they've got a nice menu there. Oh my they gosh, have. get there early. Have some food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got yeah. a really nice menu at the Southern Bell. They have. Um, so, Gender Spanner at the uh, close of the Fringe, the 28th... 28th to the 31st. Of May. Yeah. Um, uh, so, thank you, Jess McCurley. You are welcome. This has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Presented by Andrew Allen. And edited by Michelle Donkey. Music is Chapstick by Everett Armand. Find us on Twitter, cast underscore iron acts. On Facebook, ironclad cast iron, all one word. Our website is castironbrighton.weebly.com. Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for listening.